0: This is Base Layer brought to you by Orca. I am your host David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Daniel Kim, who is the head of growth on the show today. SFOX, which stands for San Francisco Open Exchange, is the easiest way to access the digital currency market. Their solution provides access to high liquidity and the ability to trade large volumes. Institutions, inter- international businesses, and professional traders are using Fox for a single point of access to 20-plus venues, price discovery, real-time pricing, and analytics, depth of book view, and trading algorithms for best execution. Daniel has many years in traditional finance. He was at BMP Parabas, he was at ITBIT, he was at Gemini. Uh, we talk about the market we talk about the institutional investor and a little bit of a joke there uh, in terms of the usage of institutional investor we're not seeing or daniel's not seeing the institutions such as the large pensions and endowments coming yet but he is monitoring they are monitoring that so we talk about the market we talk about volatility and how that's smoothed out over the last few uh quarters great conversation uh, and Daniel is very knowledgeable about the space, coming from the traditional finance uh, view. So you'll enjoy it. Please remember, nothing on Base Layer is investment advice, and have a good one. This is David and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Daniel Kim from S-Fox with me today. Hi Danny, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. So, for the folks that don't know about S-Fox, S-Fox was founded in 2014. It's a cryptocurrency prime dealer for large-scale investors such as funds, family offices, which we obviously are talking to a lot of uh, on the show, high-net-worth individuals with over $9 billion in transaction volume to date. And so Daniel comes to us from SFOX and he is the head of growth. So Daniel, if you could you know, give us a little bit of a, a primer, uh, a little bit of background about you, about SFOX. You come from a deep background in institutional investing from BNP Paribas and from other places within Wall Street and finance. would love to hear about you and about uh, SFOX, uh, if you could, for the first few minutes here.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Um, so yeah, when I, when I first started my professional career, um, got, you know, after college, went straight into banking. Um, I first started my life in, in state street. And from there I moved over to BNP Paribas, uh, working on the, uh, fixed income, um, fixed income desk, mostly on the swap derivative side of things. And I was, you know, I was in the financial world for about, uh, you know, a little more than a decade. Um, and over time I kind of saw, you know, how things were panning out, you know, went through the, uh, the recession and, and, you know, um, for a while. And then, you now as I was going through the process, I was also working on a, on a side project, uh, a startup and, and that startup really, um, you know, was focused on like, you know, e e-commerce site, um, focusing on like, you know, independent designers and so forth. And when I was going through it, I was really trying to figure out, you know, how did, um, you know, like how, like what are the biggest pain points for these companies? And it turned out it was actually payments. Um, that kind of led me into how I got into Bitcoin, where I noticed that one of the biggest, with pay, with payments, you know, individuals or, or business owners, you know, when they made a transaction, if there was a chargeback, they lost it. They, lo- they lost the goods as well as the payment. And so as I started digging more into it, I kind of came, I came, I came across Bitcoin, went to that little rabbit hole, um, went further and further. And then I was, uh, being in banking, I was kind of looking at where Bitcoin can be and where it can go. And coincidentally, it turned out that one of my close friends, uh, Bobby Cho, who's the, uh, the head at uh, um, Cumberland right now, was actually transitioning from um, second market to the uh, exchange called ITBIT, now known as Paxos. And, you know, they were, fa- they were setting up the, the first institutional uh, regulated um, exchange um, by getting a trust license. And they were moving over from Singapore to New York and they needed somebody with like a banking background and for me it's kind of seemed like a a really transferable like trans, like an easy easy uh transition from coming from banking to what they were doing and that's how that's how kind of how i got my first you know first steps into bitcoin in the whole in the whole space from there i started investing and actually bought my first few bitcoins uh you know through coinbase when they first started and then moved over to you know it bit and then you know you know, spent some time at IPIT, you know, going from the mm-hmm. operations sites to, um, you know, going as a head of sales there. Uh, spent about like a year or two there and then moved over to Gemini as the head of sales and then came over to uh, s Fox.
0: And so I find it incredibly interesting.
1: And we've talked about this a lot on the show
0: when institutional folks like yourself. Tom over at uh, True Digital also left Bridgewater recently to come and uh, build in the space yourself. Juthika Chow came and uh, left Goldman to go over to LedgerX. And so this narrative of institutional quality people leaving places like BNP Paribas and and State Street and coming in and really seeing the value of Bitcoin and within the grander scope of blockchain I think is super interesting as a narrative. Um, And so Would love to – so you mentioned as, you know, the issues regarding payment as you were at the startup and you saw issues regarding payment and the rails there. What specifically about Bitcoin and the blockchain did you notice could actually, you know, really kind of revolutionize things? Was there something specific within the technology stack that said, you know what, this is going to change commerce, this is going to change economies of scale – this is going to change society. Was there something in there that said, you know, this is it? Did you, What was the light bulb moment?
1: Yeah, you know, there, there, I think there's, it, it's, it's hard to choose a specific thing. But I remember when I was reading it, you know, I was, the, the fact of the matter was, was that when you came with payments and that, you know, you were able to have control on, on what you were doing and, you know, how the payments wanted to be used, as well as making sure that um, there was an automated process where there was absolutely, you know, no third party. Um, it was immutable and having able to transact in that way, um, spoke, spoke volumes because, you know, with any transaction, um, back in the day, it was, you always had to go through a third party and that payment process, could take time and you didn't necessarily have control. But, you know, as I was reading, going through it and speaking to a lot of these smaller businesses who were having the payment point where they're speaking to the payment processor, saying, Oh, like, you know, they'll send a payment to them. And then at the end, you had to go directly with the bank and deal with that issue was kind of that was kind of, the, that was kind of the realization that you no longer need to deal with the third party um when you when you conduct the transaction it's completed it's immutable and that was like the biggest thing to me um after seeing that i kind of imagined you know how the the pain points it would be for internationally right if, if you were someone from india or korea and trying to transact with your relatives in the u.s you know you have to go through the banking system you have to go through a payment processor um, and that takes a lot of time and for me, knowing that I could send a transaction from one person to another person, regardless of wherever they are, instantly, that was the biggest thing, I, uh, the, the biggest light bulb moment for me.
0: So it was the narrative of the middleman and getting rid of the middleman, uh, which it sounds like it's basically what you're saying, which a lot of people have also said, too, which is interesting because there can be an argument that while we're trying to get rid of the middleman, we still have forms of the middleman and we still have forms of centralization. The exchanges out there and you know coin bases of the world and others out there the exchanges are a form of centralization if you will and you know it's interesting that this obviously the the conversation within the crypto ecosystem of decentralization but yet we still have centralization you know it's our opinion my opinion that we have to have baby steps before we can really start to see the full promise of decentralization so really interesting that that was one of the things with the middleman so if we could kind of going into S Fox, what's the history? Guys, as I said, as I alluded to in the beginning, it was started in 2014 and you, it is a prime broker in crypto. What does that mean? What does a prime broker in crypto look like today?
1: Yeah, so I guess to answer that, let's take um, – let me like, – I guess we could describe first what, what a prime broker in, trad- in the traditional sense means, right? So on the traditional side of prime broker with banks – Usually provide like a bundled package of services to banks, right? Or management, ser- management firms, funds, dealers, and so forth. And those those services you typically include global custody, um, security lending, financing, even like customized technology or operational support. Um, so even some prime brokers would do like capital intro- introductions or you know risk management uh, consulting service and so forth. And so, you know, when we came with S-Fox and we first looked at it, you know, it actually didn't start off as, as a prime brokerage model, to be honest. Um, when S-Fox came into it, you know, and initially it was more of, we saw the market back in 2014-15. The markets were 100 times or 1,000 times more fragmented. And... and you know, what we realized was, is that in order for crypto or Bitcoin specifically to grow and to get mass adoption was having that infrastructure in place, meaning, you know, making it very simple for any business or institution to, to get in, um, into a platform and having direct access to, to liquidity. And at that time, you know, you were dealing with, you know, Systems with like Mt. Gox, Ifbit, Coinbase, where, you know, banks weren't as friendly at the time back back in the day. And so that payment rail of getting in funds in and out was extremely painstaking and cumbersome. Um, so the idea was, you know, why not create a platform a single point of platform um, and make it easy where, you know, SFOX, the platform, can handle all the operations and, you know, we provide that liquidity um, very easily to that end user. And so when we started, there was a lot of, you know, sophisticated. It was more of like day traders, new um you know new early adopters that were using the platform. And then you know people got wind of what our platform was doing and the value. And we kind of saw started seeing more fund managers or high net worth individuals, sophisticated traders using our platform. And as we started speaking to a lot of these clients, you know, we kind of understood that that whole operational piece and, and that and that that clearing sense of, of capital um, provided a lot of solutions for for these these sophisticated uh, institutions. And so We took a look at the model and we were like, all right, well, this is what's being done in the traditional side with prime brokerage. This is kind of where we fit to as well, because if you are a fund or high net worth individual or anybody, you know, you no longer need to deal with the 10 or 15 different exchanges out there. And what we do is we provide that single gateway. If you open an account with us using our own capital across each exchanges, you have immediate liquidity available. Um, so it's like that single point of access that we, that we provide, um, and that was the that was the that was the first version. Um, and then as we started working with more clients, um, you know there were there was a lot of customized services that they needed. Um, for instance, you know there are some guys who are out there who really don't still don't understand crypto how it's bought. And so you know I actually like walk them through as, as with like a white glove service and talk to them about like you know what crypto is, you know how it works, how the whole process is, how to store your Bitcoin, and so forth. So we're we're really right now providing like a operational trade execution services from the prime brokerage sense.
0: And so you mentioned liquidity, and liquidity has been a, an issue that's been talked about a lot over the last few weeks. I don't know if you saw the Bitwise report, but I've referenced it a few times on the show. Um, and you know, with Bitwise report, they stipulated that through observation with all the exchanges out there that there was maybe roughly 10 exchanges that had real liquidity and then a lot of the other ones out there were kind of faking that liquidity. And so if you could kind of give us a state of the state as you guys are on the forefront of this, what is the state of liquidity in terms of the in the crypto market right now? You know, is there have you seen a a pickup in liquidity with the, the kind of the rebound of Bitcoin over the last three months? Um, you know, where are you seeing liquidity kind of dry up? If you are, if you are seeing that maybe in altcoins and other things, what is the state of the state of liquidity right now in terms of the asset class?
1: Yeah, sure. So that's funny. I actually spoke to uh, Teddy, the CEO of Bitwise, literally yesterday, and she's catching up about this stuff. Um, but in terms of like the, uh, the state of liquidity, um, you know, I, I think that, you know um when when the market first started there was really lack of liquidity um especially in bitcoin or the the, the main the top markets um when we saw in 2017 2018 um, liquidity started picking up you know we, we saw we saw more institu- sophisticated investors and trade platforms or traders coming in um at, and being able to market making add that necessary liquidity on the major exchanges um when i say major exchanges These are the ones who, you know, are either regulated, um, have some type of of license, uh, in, in their specific region and so forth. And that includes, you know, the guys at Bitstamp, Coinbase, Ipbit and Gemini and so forth. Um, and you know, over the, over the years, what we've seen is that liquidity has been picking up in terms of being able to have like a healthy order book, uh, of, of order book depth, as well as as market activity going on. Now, you know, as, as what we've been seeing lately, um, in 2018 to even early 2019, you know, volumes have been down with the bearish market. Um, but we, you know, speaking with folks, you know, there are people who are still interested. Um, people are still trading um, on the OTC side as well as in the spot market side. Um, but what we're, what we're also seeing is that, you know, with the new in, in the new injection of of, of new products right, coming from like BitMEX and, and options and derivatives and so forth. Um, we're seeing a lot of liquidity on that side as well. Um, and I find it very interesting because, you know, initially what people were, were trading on with OTC and so forth where they were using liquidity on the, um, spot market side, but now with right, like right. the options and futures available, people are now using a more liquidity from, from that side as well. So, you know, I would say liquidity is still strong. If anything, it, it's actually grown. I would just say that the the market activity, spot market trading has, you know, been l- somewhat mild.
0: And so digging into, you know, obviously we talked about liquidity, but we can also kind of marry that to volatility. You guys have produced a monthly volatility report, and I think you, over the last six months, um, I know I've been seeing this on a pretty regular basis. So with enhanced liquidity, or with more liquidity, are we seeing more volatility or with less liquidity are we seeing? What's the, the, the kind of the marriage there? What's the, is there an inversion? Is there a correlation between liquidity and volatility? You know, what's the state of volatility from your standpoint that you guys have been monitoring on a monthly basis?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, if you we talk about volatility, you know, um, and it's based form volatility is a measure of like, a, of an asset, assets, price fluctuation over time. Right. And it really, it really boils down to three, you know, fundamental, um, forces, which is supply, demand, and uncertainty, um, I would say. And so, you know, with, with more supply or more demand, that obviously affects the prices um, drastically. And so a price can be more volatile. So what, we, what we've been seeing lately is is that, you know, um, vol- actually vol- volatility in the past, you know, I would say, three, four months have, has been somewhat mild, uh, and quiet. Um, and that's because, you know, no one really knows what, like where the market, where, where the market or price was going. So, you know, demand has actually been a little bit set back, but supply is still there. Um, what we've seen beforehand, let's say in, you know, let's say, let's go back six months to like November, right? This is when we were hovering around 5,800 and, and folks were wondering, you know, is it going to break 6,000? Is it going to go back up or is it going to go down? Um, The problem was, was that, you know, there, there was, there was still demand, there was interest, there was supply, but then there was so much uncertainty because that was during the time where BCH was going through that fork with SV. Um, the SEC Mm -hmm. was coming out and making some like civil, uh, civil actions. Mm -hmm. And with, with all that, you know, confusion, not knowing where the market was going to go, fortunately it it went, it went to the negative, it went, it went down and you saw about like a 39 or 40, I forget what it was like 30 to 40% drop from Mm -hmm. 58 to I think like 33 or 3,500 Um, so you you saw that so when it comes to that market like that's that's what happens Um, But then during the months after that, you know, we kind of saw a little bit more of a of a quiet period So that's what that's what kind of what we've been seeing lately
0: So when we saw the massive run-up in Bitcoin a few weeks ago uh, to the 5,000 and There was all that speculation about how that happened and then there was you know, potentially a hundred million dollar order spread across three different exchanges and people were speculating what type of an institution that was because was it a high net worth? Was that a family office? Was that a pension? Was it an endowment? From your stance and what you guys see on a day-to-day basis, I'm curious as we've heard from other people out there, the institutions are coming, which obviously became almost a joke because you know, it took, it's going to take a lot longer for institutions to come and we need a lot of things in place like qualified custodians and other solutions out there like yours. And so I'm curious, you know, from what you see on a regular basis, you know, obviously you guys do a KYC and ML, you obviously know your customers, not to obviously name customers, but are you seeing an uptick in institutions over the last, you know, six months?
1: Yeah. So I I think, see, I find it funny where like, you know, in, in our space, like institutions has been a very, I guess, uh, it's been a term that's been used very, Astrodized. uh, or, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so like, so I want to rephrase that. Like I, w- I would say that, you know, you know, institutions, the, the, the large institutions, the, like the big banks and so forth, there's always interest, but and the pension funds, um, there's always interest, but I don't, I don't see that, you know, any action being done there yet or, you know, in the coming months, because like you, like you just said, Dave, um, there's still a lot of infrastructure that needs to be in place and even like regulatory, uh, clarity in order for them to get in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but we are seeing what we, and what we have been seeing is that, you know, there are a lot of sophisticated, um, trading companies coming in, like the high frequency trading shops, right? You know that, you know, there, there are those guys who, who love volatility or see a trading opportunity. They have the setup, they have the technology in order to, to integrate. And the reason why they came in was because, you know, they came in recently because you saw a lot of the exchanges, developing their own infrastructures, you know updating their platforms and APIs to accept you know fixed support where normally you know if you're a high frequency trading shop you can't trade on uh, a uh, on a rest or a rest API or websocket you need what you're normally used to and so over the over the past years and so you've seen you've definitely seen those guys have coming in and you could kind of see that, that that's helped um, decrease the 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 cross exchange spreads over time if it, in fact we actually look at the spreads between exchanges from 2016 to now you can see it. it's actually dramatically decreased by like a couple hundred basis points to be honest um and then you see you know there's also there's obviously a lot of family offices high net worth individuals like like super multi-family offices who have been quietly coming in because they have the flexibility they don't really have a, a investor mandate they could you know invest in what they want you have the hedge fund the mid-cap funds now hedge funds you know the ones that have had their perspectives where you know they've told their investors they they will dabble into some uh, you know more riskier assets may have been able to to explore and you know take some you know take some positions, um, but all these newer funds you know they've been able to to structure themselves so that tell their investors they are going to invest in crypto and those are the ones that we've been seeing coming in, right.
0: Now in terms of the overall offerings and obviously not going into specifics, but. So I imagine you guys cover Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the top um, more liquid uh, coins out there. Is there any type of underwriting or any type of, you know, kind of program or protocols in place that would, you know, and let's get to the, you know, cut to the chase. There's obviously been some noise over the last few days of delisting a certain cryptocurrency out there. Is there anything in your protocols and processes that would ever, you know, kind of say, okay, we're not making a market. We're not going to offer this to our clients.
1: Yeah, so we, and we do. And it's it's kind of like also the same way the way we we, we list and integrate with liquidity providers, right? Um, every time we, we add in any asset or any new liquidity provider, we do a very thorough uh, review um, on connectivity, understanding who the team is, um, you know, looking at the order books or looking at the assets um seeing you know what their product roadmap is can we see and believe that this is going to be something that's scalable and going to be in the long term because it does take a lot of investment not only for us but for our customers as well making sure that we can provide a really healthy environment for those people um mm-hmm. for our customers and so when it comes to that specifically for the assets you know every time we every time we speak with an uh every time we've added a new asset you know outside of bitcoin um, we've always spoken with the foundation, understanding what their roadmap is, who's involved, where their project is going. Um, and we try to keep a, a very friendly and open conversation, um, meet, meet, being very neutral understanding, you know, where they're going, you know, how they feel about this environment and so forth. And... And so right now, you know, with that, that one asset coming, you know, experiencing some issues today, um, we're actually, we're actually engaging with the, um, um, with the foundation to figure out exactly, you know, what, what, what's really the like what's really the underlying issue, like what's, and what's happening what what are their plans? Um, we're not trying to, you know, we're just trying to get more information so that we can, you know, communicate that and explain it to our community. And then ultimately, you know, internally what we'll do is c- speak on a, on a legal and compliance level to see, you know, is this something that we can continue to support? Um, you know, is there still going to be a market where exchanges are going to be supporting it? Um, or, you know, is this going to be unhealthy where you're looking at, um, each of the exchanges and, and that, that order book is going to be, is going to be toxic or not. So there, I think there, there's, mul- there's multiple different factors that we always consider.
0: Right. And so for people that are trying to understand the offering for SFOX and so traditional markets, you would have you know, say like a Bloomberg terminal and you would go on there and you would, you know, potentially want to buy, you know, a, a bond, a corporate bond, or you'd want to buy, um, you know, a currency out there and you would have different brokers basically giving you a bid and ask and effectively you would have this thing called like a, the Bloomberg fair value price. Which you know, some cases like Vwap, kind of the best price out there in the aggregate. Is that kind of how you guys operate, or is it you know kind of using the different exchanges that you guys have already worked with and coming up with kind of like a fair value price on a particular security at a specific time? Sure. Or should I say an asset? I shouldn't
1: say security. I should say an asset. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we do is, um, we actually, we, so we don't, we don't, you know, we don't add in any spreads. We don't adjust the prices. What we do is, you know, we provide 100% full transparency and it's all we, all we're really doing is we're taking all the liquidity from all the exchanges and even some OTC providers, if they're willing to, to make their orders public and merge all those order books. Um, so whatever you're seeing on, on our platform is exactly what you would see if you were trading directly onto an exchange. Um, and so, when you are executing a trade, you know you're smart routing. You're just smart routing in order across whatever the best price and quantity available is. And we don't put it in terms of, of any like, um, we don't make any. We don't make any adjustments of you know what exchange we favor or not. It's you know all the exchanges we added in today, we trust. Um, it's just a matter of collecting all of that and providing it in a in a single, a single uniform um, format, so that's easier for our customers to to view. So in, in a way, it's kind of like you know, if you look at interactive brokers when you're in, when you're trading with them you know we're not adding in spreads you're you're directly executing across all the exchanges uh, the prices and you're just getting that that best execution when available
0: i love the analogy that's great um analogies are really helpful especially when we're trying to educate people about what you guys and what everyone's doing out there so that was that was really helpful um you know with exchanges obviously i i don't have to say obviously but one of the problems was a exchange we'll call well we'll just name it because it was in the public quadriga and so how do we i'm not saying it had any exposure to you guys whatsoever but going into the future how do we you know kind of make sure that those type of situations don't happen again is that basically is it is it platforms like yours that put them under such scrutiny um do we need to have you know outside regulators do we need to have the federal regulators in the united states really do that or can we self-govern can platforms like yours really provide that self-governance or do we really need to have you know the the big guys with the suits in dc really taking a hand
1: into this yeah i i I think like with with the issue that happened with quadrigo and you know how it could be avoided in the future um i think like at the end of the day like there needs to be a little more transparency, um, and you know, you could you could rely on the regulators if they if they you know understand exactly how the the processes and procedures work. I, I think right now you know there's there's still some there's still a learning curve, and so you know I ultimately I think that you know they you have to rely on on certain you know um, third party services or even independent audits to make sure that what they're saying is being done and it's true, and making sure that they're conducting the right processes right. And, and, and unfortunately right now, the only way to do that is to make sure that you are actively using that platform and, and, and trying it on a daily basis, making sure that, you know, um, when you're doing withdrawal, that withdrawal is processed in that, in the, in the SLA that they provided, um, it is being deposited at the time that they deposited and so forth. Um, ultimately at the very end, you know, it it could either be a, a, a SRO or it could be a, 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 current regulatory body that, that does, um, um, need to, to review it because, unfortunately um, there are some bad actors out there and and that needs to be taken care of and that needs to be reviewed. Um, and so, you know, I, I think as of right now, the way the state is today, you know, that's kind of one, one value added service where we come in. Um, because you know, it's uh, every exchange that we, we connect to or every liquidity provider we connect to, it's actually our money being used. We don't use our client. Our client funds are never on the exchanges. Um, it's only held at, you know, S Fox. Um, so we, so for us, we always need to make sure that every, Every exchange, every liquidity by their processes are thoroughly valid. Um, And that's with us conducting our own individual research as well as speaking with like the founders and questioning, you know, what their security process is. And if there's any flaw or a doubt, then we don't typically uh, like to list them. Got it.
0: So I'd love you, you know, kind of moving forward, uh, you know, talking about, well, we just said April 15th, and it was tax day for many of us, and anyone who's had to deal with crypto and taxes out there, and, you know, mm. everyone on Twitter is always kind of, you know, I saw someone post, I think he had a book that he was reading that was maybe a 400-page book, and then he had a stack of his crypto transactions, um, and so as we're moving forward to More integration with companies like Bact, you know, that are waiting to get their approval and work with, you know, companies like Starbucks. So hypothetically, one day you can potentially use your Bitcoin to buy a latte. That in itself is still going to be a, a realized gain. And so there is this issue with tax and crypto. And so you guys have a blog and you guys wrote some really interesting things about this recently. So I'd love for you to unpack this a little bit. So one of the most potentially challenging aspects of managing crypto tax reporting is determining the USD value of, of the transactions you made over the year, especially when those transactions involve exchanging one crypto asset for another. While we cannot provide tax advice and you should always consult a tax professional. Very good. You guys should all, you know, that's, a, big, a real good disclaimer, and I, I say that all the time on the show. We designed SFOX's <laughs> S- transaction reports with this in mind. It's easy to see at a glance the total USD value of your transactions on SFOX's trading platform. So this is a value add for lots of people out there. So kind of unpack that. What was the, the genesis behind that, and how have you guys done that so far?
1: Yeah, so the genesis from there was – you know we, we we have a lot of you know active traders using our platform um today and you know the pairs that we offer they include not only just the you know the the usd and, and crypto pairs but also the crypto to crypto pairs which are you know btc et btc and ether ether etc and so forth and so one of the biggest problems for them was and even for us internally when we were managing uh doing our own um accounting and audits was that you know how do you really capture what that USD value is at time because you're, you, when you're constantly trading when the market's so volatile, you know the last thing you're, you're thinking about is actually you know what that what that USD price is you're just trying to make sure you get that profit and you're not taking a loss, right? Um, so the way that we did it was and because we are ca- and, and since we are downloading collecting so much data from all different exchanges, um, every time a transaction is conducted um, in our reporting we'll show you exactly, You know even if it's um crypto to crypto trade we'll show you exactly what that usd value is so we'll show you the value in in btc um the underlying asset and then also in usd because at the end of the day um you know you're gonna have to report to the tax men so we're just trying to make it as easy as possible and transparent um and so you know no matter how much you're trading from all these different, like so because again as you're trading with you know multiple different exchanges on our platform we just aggregate all of that into one single report so it gives you that full visibility of this is what I traded, this is how much it cost, um, this is my price. And when you go to your your accountant who will probably love you for this, um, they'll be like, this is perfect, this is all I need. Um, when we took that approach, we made sure, speaking to our accountants, like what information would it make, what information would make it easier for you to do your job? And that's how our, how our report was developed.
0: That's great. That's great. So the other thing that you guys wrote about that I found super interesting is that you wrote, and you mentioned this before, about kind of a white-glove approach to some people who are not in crypto that are interested in crypto. And so you mentioned that, you, um, that you've that you been writing a lot on the blog, and you wrote one about Bitcoin, its history, and its future. So we don't need to go into its, its, its history. I think that's been discussed fairly well, especially on the show and others. But... You also wrote about what its future is. And so, you know, I'd love to hear you discuss and, you know, as a firm, do you think it really does become digital cold and tackle that multi-trillion dollar market? And how does it get there?
1: Yeah, you know, I think like the beauty about crypto and Bitcoin is that, you know, it's many things to many people, really, right? It it can act as a store of value gold for the institutions um, or individuals who believe it as a, you know, as a product that they can hold for the long term. Um, But then there are other, you know, other use cases where, you know, there are people out there, you know, in, in the emerging markets where they're actually using, you know, crypto or Bitcoin as a form of payment or medium of exchange, really. Um, so I, th- I think that's one of the key things is that, you know, first, Bitcoin can be, Bitcoin and crypto can be many things to many people depending on how they want to use it. Um, what I see personally is that, you know, Bitcoin today is is kind of like a, a store of value. Um, you know, if you think about it, they it has one of the most high, out of any any crypto asset out there. It has the most liquidity, um, has the highest uh, you know exchange exchanges available globally. Uh, the on ramp and off ramp. Um, no one no crypto asset really today could, could compete with it. Um, and in order for it to get to even even further is continuing that buildup of, of infrastructure, really, right? Like, as, as, we, as we ultimately and hope for to get that mass adoption and, and more um, investors or f- sophisticated investors to come into the space, they're going to need that trust and, and comfort of knowing, you know, if I store my Bitcoin, it's going to be easily stored and I'm going to understand how to store it, <laughs> um, you know, how to use it and, and easily be able to send, you know, somebody, um, you know, one Bitcoin to another person um, as just, you know, as a pure speculative product. Good answer.
0: Um, We'll have to obviously, you know, it's interesting. We've had some people on here who are trying to provide on ramps to Bitcoin, making it more user friendly to the average Joe. Um, But then, you know, we've seen the retail run up. And, you know, I think to the point that real markets start to happen is when institutions, and I say that with an air quote because we just had a uh, laugh about that. But when real institutions start putting in not just, you know, A few hundred thousand dollars but when they start putting a few hundred million dollars into the system i think that's when we start seeing some things happen um to kind of round off the show as um as we've gotten to know everyone that comes on we like to get to uh two inputs that you usually kind of put into your brain on a daily basis now i know you're reading a lot you're probably reading blogs and other places and reddit and you know keeping up on the market um, not just from the crypto market, but from the traditional market. And so, not necessarily wanting to know about what you're reading on a day to day basis, but more about what books you might be reading and what might be, you know, kind of something that was really special to you that you learned something, whether it's crypto related or whether it's finance related or, you know, psychological or, you know, sci fi. I would love to know anything that you've read over the last few months that was really important, something that you would love to share with people. And then the other input that I found to be quite interesting is music it tells a lot about a person's personality um i've joked about this before on a few shows but we had a guest on who has built an amazing company and it was quite shocking to learn that he likes metal um (laughs) and so that was really it was it was quite surprising and i say that with a smile because it's awesome um but a lot of people also listen to ambient music and listen to classical music without words so we'd love to hear kind of what you've been reading and that might be you know kind of uh something that people
1: would love to learn about and also what kind of music you listen to sure um yeah i, I think uh one one book that i've been really I, I can't put it down is um it's a book called the next africa uh by jake bright um what it does is it really focuses like the two authors um it really focuses on like the economic state of africa and, and its like economic opportunity specifically in the uh sub-saharan uh countries and area so there's about like 48 countries there but what the most interesting part about it is though is like how they dive How they deep dive into it about how, you know, our Western models of economic, you know, how you evaluate economic growth. Um, it actually doesn't tie in correctly into the way it's, uh, you know, capturing, um, Africa really. Um, in fact, if you look at like Nigeria or Nigeria or Kenya, um, those areas are are one of the most innovative and, and highest grossing areas, uh, in, in, in that continent. Um and the reason why is like, you know, what people are realizing is that the Western models are actually missing some of that information of, of capturing, you know, the unpaid or informal barter systems that are typically done in that country. Um and it, it, it's funny because I it kind of relates to me into 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 crypto because you know, there are certain things that work, you know, certain models work in certain areas, but it doesn't work globally or it doesn't work for everybody, right? And that's kind of the way crypto is too. Um or, you know, people may think that crypto is a great store of value, but then it also works for other people as medium exchange for for other countries or other use cases. And so when I when I read this book about the you know, next Africa, understanding more about their economic state and, and what those opportunities are, it, it just it just has so much, uh, you know, uh, has so, so, so much of a relationship that that, like, like, you know, speaks closely, closely to me. And it seems very interesting to see, you know, where that state of Africa is going. That's I. no one has
0: suggested that book yet. So that's, that's awesome. Definitely going to have to check that one out. And, yeah. you know, in terms of music, do you listen to anything on a daily basis?
1: Yeah. So it actually, it really depends on my vibe. Um, like if I'm, if I'm getting like real anxious and I'm like, you know, like want to get really into it and go like, you know, going to war, I always love listening to Wu-Tang Clan. Um, and nice. then, yeah, <laughs> but then like, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling happy and I'm like, you know, walking around, I go old school and I'll listen to like the Isley Brothers specifically like Shout or like Old oh, Heart of Mind. Um, and then like if I'm really wanting to focus and like just t- want to take it light, I'll, I, I love just listening to just plain like um, like works of piano. So like M- Melanie Laurent or Max Richter. And it's just like a nice, like relaxing music just to play while I'm like doing work. So it's like it really depends on my mood. <laughs> I
0: love the fact, you know, Wu-Tang ain't nothing to F with. And I'm going to say that because I'm trying to keep with Apple's explicit of uh, clauses here. Um, but that is, that is great. Um, to round it out, you know, I'd like to give people a minute, just, you know, if there's any place that they can learn more about S Fox, they can reach out to you. Where do you want to point people to?
1: Yeah. If you, if you guys, uh, you know, reach out to me in LinkedIn, uh, Daniel Kim, there's a, uh... Probably a lot of us, a lot of me there, but uh, <laughs> you can go to Daniel, uh, Daniel Kim at LinkedIn or go to uh, www.sfox.com and then there's a contact page and I'll be happy to reach out.
0: Awesome. So this was Daniel Kim at S Fox. Reach out. These guys have uh, been in the market now for over five years, which in crypto means that they've been around for about a hundred in traditional markets. Uh, so experience team, Daniel obviously has lots of experience coming from traditional markets to now crypto markets, so reach out. Thank you for joining us on Layer, Daniel, and we'll catch you soon. Thank you for having me, David. For more notes on this episode and others, please go to www.ar.ca. Slash base layer. Next week is Blockchain Week here in New York, the week of May 13th. Myself and the team at ARCA will be here in New York, and if you're an investor or founder, we would love to meet you. Feel free to email me at david.ar.ca. At Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and also throw us a rating or review if you could. We try every day to make this podcast better for you, the listener. So if there's anything we can do to make it better, please let us know.